Jerry and Marge Gallarge may not win awards or earn a fortune, but it made me smile. I don't take that for granted, especially nowadays. Bravo to Brian Cranston and Annette Benning for believing this can-do story and giving it their all. That's from Leonard Malton, former guest here, of course, acclaimed film critic, LeonardMalton.com. He is talking about our featured new movie this week. Jerry and Marge Gallarge was available on Paramount+. Plus. Director David Frankel was awesome. He was our guest last week, so now that I've seen the movie, I can actually review it. Giving it their all. If you hear that as like a way to describe something, it's generally not great, right? Right. It means the execution wasn't there, but the effort was there. At least they tried. It's just... Yeah, they gave it their all. I st- I'm still <laughs> laughing at your description of Billy Crystal last week when he was trying to get the sing-along from the crowd. It was like, here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> Repeat <laughs> after me. Hey, hey, hey. I know he didn't do that i keep going that's like where i keep going <laughs> oh, that's funny old movie this week heart eight the great philip baker hall incredible character actor he passed me at the age of 90 about two hours after me and cody stopped recording last week so oh my god i gotta talk about philip baker hall um and so heart eight is a great great film paul thomas anderson's first movie he then obviously cast philip baker hall in boogie nights and magnolia he was an actor he was very fond of but heart eight's a great film and i wanted to go back in the archives and talk about that and as far as our wild card this week hey father's day just happened so great father and son movies we'll go down and give a few of our favorites when it comes to that list as always support cinephile please go to apple Podcasts where you can subscribe rate and review i always appreciate reading all the feedback from all of you and uh keep it coming first and foremost cody happy father's day same to you adnan we're recording this podcast a little earlier than we generally do Uh and i don't know if it's because i know that but i can hear it in your voice that it's a little earlier than we normally record this yeah, you're probably right. We, the reason why my parents are I like this honestly, dude, though. Like, usually you're the most polished, crisp broadcaster in the game. I like this. This is, yeah. you're a human, man. It's early in the morning. You probably had a long Father's Day weekend, and right. you're just like, you know what? Like, I, I'm, I might be a little tired right now. That's okay sometimes. You're right. A little groggy, a little sluggish. Yes. We were hoping to go to the beach today. My parents are visiting, so I said, okay, beach day, but everybody's kind of tired and just, you know, lethargic. So right. I said, okay, let, me, let me just bang out this podcast, and then we'll go yes. on our way. Our way. Yeah. But we're good, but, man. We're still going to have a good one. I like it. We got some good movies today. I'm happy. I'm excited. Anything special for Father's Day? Um, you and I you are know, both lucky. Our fathers are still around, which is great. I, I, yes. I ranted on the Lebitzard show last week, and I have regrets about it because I kind of was saying that with my in-laws and my dad, Father's Day isn't mine yet. It's still theirs. So I have to like go around, see all the families. So I was thinking in, in my mind that when, when Father's Day comes around, I can do literally anything I want. But that's not the case. I have to go see family. I have to see my dad. I have to see my in-laws. So right. it hasn't really become my day yet. But like you said, very grateful to have these in-laws and my dad still around. So I'm not complaining. I was just doing a shtick. But, you know, I, I saw family is what I did. I did not get to have the Chris Cody weekend of my dreams. It was just, you know, I got to see family. So we were good. Yeah, I remember I worked with the guy who said, he goes, you know, Father's Day should just be just dad being left alone. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. He's like, I just, I just want to be on the couch. I just want to watch golf and that's it. I'm like, right. I don't want to watch golf. But, but I understood his point. He was like, hey, the, the, it's my day. I just want to do my thing. It's like, oh, it's my day. What are we doing today? All right, I got to be my in-laws at noon and my parents at four. Okay. <laughs> Looks like I have a lot of time for me today. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a me day here. Father's Day should be every day. Saturday was my day. Like, I, basically, my wife on Saturday was like, what do you want to do? What, like, anywhere you want to go eat? So Saturday, honestly, became the day of whatever I wanted to do. So I went out, did the water taxi on Fort Lauderdale with my daughter and my wife drove around nice. ate lunch on the water just did like a a fort lauderdale touristy day oh that's great man water taxi's underrated yes 
and it's all tourists and it's yeah. it's funny just to like people watch on there and then they're like where are you guys from like we're here we're just like that one <laughs> local family that's doing this but uh it, it, it's so beautiful it's i like to go through las olas and just look at all the houses and be like i want to have that house one day Oh, yeah. I'm going to get down to Fort Lauderdale. Sounds fantastic. Also, yeah. of course, I'm an avid follower of your feed in the Dan Levitard show. Did mm. you get Chris Whittingham to smoke weed when you went to a weed farm? Mm, no. Yeah, he's, I, I figured he wasn't going to. Like, why would he? Yeah, he. I mean, I, it's just not it, his thing. It, it, the stigma's gone, right? Like, I feel like now he could do it. Like, he seriously still feels like if I'm seen doing this, this is a negative on my resume. So he has that, like thought of it like but you know no he, we didn't get him to do it and uh but i did it for him yeah that's the thing i've never smoked weed either like Whittingham, and and because i just was always a you know i'm somebody who obeys the law i, I just it was illegal but now like you said the stigma's gone it is legal i could go anywhere right now and buy right. some edibles if i want to i was driving the other day you should see this line i don't know what the hell it's called ascent i think is a store big weed flag I'm like 30 people outside I'm like oh, i could just go and get some weed yeah but I'm 43 years old. Like, why would I do it now? Like, oh, I've, I've, I've I'm with this you. Long. I yeah. think, I mean, if you've never done it, I yeah. imagine that you'd be like, oh my God, my tolerance is so low. I, yeah. I, I would start freaking out. Like, yeah. I understand once you get to a certain point of I've never done it, yeah. I'm, I'm at this point a little just like nervous about what it would do to me. So like, I yeah. get it. I get yeah, it. At this point, just I mean, although it does make me think of Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine when he's giving advice. He says, you know, he goes, you should do a lot of drugs. He goes, when you're young, you shouldn't. He goes, you're stupid if you do it. When you get old, you should do it. Why wouldn't you? Like that's a, that's a fair point actually. When I'm 75, I should be doing acid. Good like movie. at that point, what do you have to live for? Little Miss Sunshine, really good movie. Yeah, great film for 2006. We'll be able to review that some other time. Um, all right, so the weed farm was good. We're hoping to get Ricky Williams and uh, Stan Van Gundy at yeah, some point. Yeah, by the way. yeah, we're working on that. We're working on that. Um, I do want to say congrats to the Golden State Warriors. They win their fourth title in the last eight years and sixth final in eight years. And whenever I think of the Golden State Warriors, specifically Steph Curry, I always think of Al Pacino. So a few years back, I, I was incredulous. Al Pacino, a night with Al Pacino and Joy Behar hosting, inexplicably. I'm like, well, I don't know how Joy Behar got this gig. But Joy Behar hosting, it was in Connecticut, Mohegan Sun, the casino, a night with Al Pacino, 200 uh, I think it was 150 bucks to get hear him speak, and it was 250 for a meet and greet. So I said, "Oh my God!" So me and my wife Amy go 500 bucks, no problem. Meet and greet, yes, let's do it. Go there, and the hour plus was fine. I mean, he told the stories that I've always heard, but he was good. He was funny. He was engaging. Joy Behar was fine. She asked what you would ask, and then afterwards we're lining up to go meet Al Pacino. And I'd say of the crowd, I mean, it was it was pretty full house. Maybe I don't know, 3,000, 4,000 people. Maybe a thousand are going for the meet and greet, the exclusive, the VIP yeah. experience. And the woman in front of me is like starting to hyperventilate. And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm a huge Al Pacino fan. I'm like, we're all Al Pacino. Like, yeah, I mean, come all, on. Yeah, like, what do we what You do don't got to be the biggest Al Pacino fan here. Like, we're all Al Pacino fans. This is what I'm saying. Everyone starts to tell them, but I've seen all this films 72 times. Like, you don't need to start bragging what a big fan you are. Like, we're all fans, obviously. What do you think we're all doing here? And she goes, no, you understand the level of fandom. Like, she's like, I'm starting to get, like. I love, how, I love yeah. how you're thinking, you don't got to give me your bona fides, lady, while wanting to give her your bona fides. You're like, actually, I'm the biggest Al fan, but we don't need to get right. into that. Yeah, I started to, like, kind of quiz from, like, have you seen Chinese Coffee? Didn't think you had. Movie he directed. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't know that. Of course you don't. You've just seen Scarface 20 times. And she goes, no, look at my leg. And she starts, she starts lifting up her, her pants, and it's <laughs> a tattoo of Pacino on her calf. Uh, she wins. And she I go, wins. okay, you got me on that one. I do not have an Al Pacino tattoo on my calf. If you had one you on your ass, you just turned around and you're like, how about that, huh? <laughs> like, what do you think about that? Like, there you go. So, so, you know, each person that goes in, you can't actually see them when they go in. The door closes. But I can hear her crying. And I, I, I can hear his baritone. And I can hear her crying. I'm like, oh, my God, how do I fall somebody who's Why crying? Why are you crying? <laughs> 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I go in and I'm like, Alex, hey! Like, and I said to him, I want to be like, we're old friends, like Norm from Cheers. I'm like, Alex, like, hey! Should be like, I how s- do I follow that? Yeah, and so we just started crying. But I said, let me pick something obscure because hopefully then he'll appreciate it more. So I said, Al, I saw you at the Toronto Film Festival. He goes, oh, I remember you, which of course is not true. Right. Why would he say he remembers me? I'm like, no, that's not true. I do. Yeah, I said, I saw the Toronto Film Festival, and I wanted to let you know I love Chinese coffee. There's three films that Al Pacino has ever directed. And the local stigmatic, I think he's fairly partial to. But I mentioned Chinese coffee, which I think is the best of the three. Him and the late Jerry Orbach. You do that because you know that's like him directing. You're trying to like massage his ego right here. You're right. Like, I, I would think every yeah. other person is going there like, hey, who are? Son of a woman. So I'm like, hey, man, Chinese coffee, Toronto Film Festival. He's like, okay, 1999. This guy, you know. Yeah. But I don't think it had an impact. He was like, I remember you. I'm like, oh, yeah, great. So he, you literally just go up to him, you get a picture, and he's sitting down. I'm standing up. Which I've, I've posted the picture before. I'll post it again if you want. But I remember Van Pelt was like, God, he's so short. I'm like, he's sitting. Yeah. I'm like, he, I'm like he, he is short, but he is sitting, to be clear. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not five feet taller than him. So we take the picture, and then I go, yeah, I shake his hand. I go, hey, Al, I, uh, I actually work at ESPN in Connecticut you know, here, and I would love to, you know, if you came by sometime. Or, I don't think I said my podcast. I said, great if you can come by. And he goes, oh, yeah. I go, sports, sports. I love sports. <laughs> I'm like, really? I go, yeah. I, go, I know you're from the Bronx. I'm a Yankee fan. You like your baseball. He's like, oh, and then the, and the basketball on right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I go, the Warriors, unbelievable. Great story. He goes, who's that? Who's that guy? That guy. And I go, Steph Curry. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, he just. He just glides. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I see Steph Curry, I just picture Al Pacino somewhere glides. in his palatial zip going, that guy, he just, he just glides. <laughs> what do you think about, uh, did you see this fake Clay Thompson getting banned, like sneaking into the arena? There's this Clay Thompson lookalike, and he sneaks into the uh, Golden State Arena just by looking like Clay Thompson. But oh the, th- the security let him in in the parking lot. He's driving into the arena with his jersey on. That should have been a red flag for the security <laughs> people. It's like, why is he wearing his jersey? Did you see? Like, if you had to, I have sneak- not seen this. I have to look up fake Clay Thompson. Oh, this yeah. is incredible. If, if you had to, if you, who's your doppelganger out there that you could sneak into somewhere as? Do you well, think? Chris Chelios. I mean, I, I've told the Chris Chelios story before. Yeah. I'm yeah. in Detroit. I'm reading a Tiger Woods biography, and I have a Canada hat on, and I'm wearing shorts and a black T-shirt. Couldn't be more nondescript. Yeah. And a guy says to me, two guys are together. I have my head down. He goes, excuse me, Mr. Chelios, can I get a picture? And I looked <laughs> oh, up. And yes, I, was like, I remember yeah. this. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, uh, sure. And of course, I completely played along with it. And I said, you guys are big Blackhawks fans? Because I think of Chelios of the Blackhawks, but I was in Detroit at the airport. They go, oh, right away. He's like, oh, of course, of course, yeah, Detroit. I had some great years here. And as I said that, I worked with Chris Chelios. We did the World Cup together. And he himself <laughs> said to me at one point, you know, we do really look alike. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because he goes, my wife is saying something. I'm like, no, we do, we do. And Ben Boma, who's a hilarious guy, he was telling Steve Levy, you should toss back to the studio and say for more on the intermission report, here's Chris Chelios, Brett Hall, and Chris Chelios. He goes, it would have been a great life. He would have loved it. But to this day, John Barron, who's a researcher at MLB Network, great guy, loves the Mets. I saw him in the hall two days ago. He goes, hey, ever tell you, you look at Chris Chelios? I go, buddy, I get it all the time. I, yeah. go, I, got, I got mistaken in, a, in an airport. So yeah, I took a picture with those guys and I remember afterwards, the guy says, I can't wait to put this up on the mantle. And I told this story on Mike and Mike and Golik said, could you imagine when they're going to blow that picture up uh, and someone's going to walk in and go, why do you have a picture of Adnan Burke on your wall? <laughs> that is a great. You, I, I'm looking at Chelios now. Wow, you really do. Yeah. Doppelganger, me and Chris Chelios. Stugatz loves it too. I said this to him. I go, who do you think I look more like? I go, I used to get Ben Stiller. Nagani's like, Ben Stiller. He goes, oh, no, he goes, I'm Team Chelios. He goes, I think Chelios. Ben Stiller, yeah. Great. I mean, I guess I kind of see it. The head shape. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of that stuff. All right, enough nonsense. I'll look up this fake Clay Thompson, but later on. Uh, once again, keep those reviews coming. 
Uh, I did see this here from D Black 519. Thank you so much for making my week. Great movie reviews. I'm a huge movie lover. I know you've said it in the past. Just curious why you hate Forrest Gump so much. I think I've talked about it, but I can do it again if you want some other time. Um, a bit obscure. You should check out the ER episode that Ray Liotta did. Really good TV. Okay, maybe we'll get into that at some point. I didn't even know Ray Liotta was on. Well, it's interesting. Okay. Uh, also, this one was from a while ago, April 12th. Ma'am is anti-vax. Uh, I'm so sorry, Adnan, that Cody and you didn't crush her for this. You guys hate Cinephobe because Maze is better than you. So, I, listen, I don't know what, what people are talking about this stuff for. Wait, what's the, the first line? I know Maze is the Cinephobe producer. What, what's, what's the He tweet? said Mayim is anti-vax. We were oh, Mayim Bialik. What a random callback. Oh, okay. <laughs> a random callback. He's like, oh, you guys should have crushed her. And, but he gave Maze props. So listen, we're all about uh, giving props here. So, Maze, enjoy the shout-out. Thank you for, for giving us. Uh, thank you, well, I don't know. Thank you to the guy for listening to us. And Maze, great job. We're, of course, Cinephobe is now a part of our universe. So... Hey, there's, there's no rivalry here, okay? We give love to everybody. Let's get into the movies. Jerry and Marge, go large. The story is this, and thanks again to David Frankel who came on last week. Based on the true story about couple Jerry and Marge Selby, who win the lottery and use the money to revive their small town. I thought it was a, a nice little film. It's a quaint movie. It's exactly what you were expecting, which is a couple of really good actors in Brian Cranston and Annette Bening, award-winning. Cranston's won an Emmy. Tony, of course, Annette Bening. Hollywood royalty in her own right as a great actress. Loved her in Bugsy, but also married to Warren Beatty. So um, it's good to just see actors like this get roles like this. I, I always wonder, like, you hear women often say that. Once you get to 50-plus, there's no roles for you. I'm like, that's true. So whenever there is a role for a woman like 60-plus, I'm like, all right, cool. And it is the role that... You might expect of somebody of that age, older, you know, you're in the Midwest, just living your life, enjoying your Belgian waffles like I do in United Flights. And all of a sudden, the dad, who is, you know, retiring now, mathematical mind, very sharp, very analytical. And he figures out, basically, you know, the sum total of this lottery, the more you play it, the better your odds are you're going to win. So... He takes the very huge risk of taking money out of their retirement fund. He doesn't have a whole lot. I think he's got like eight grand. He's like, all right, let me take it out. Let it ride. Goes out, wins, doubles it. Let's say he makes 16000 Ends up hiding the money in cereal boxes and in the popcorn, which his granddaughter starts to go through. His wife says to him one day, you know, what about the pantry? And he says, okay, okay, I'm playing the lottery. She's like, I, I just meant like, it was a little bit messy. Like, what are you talking about? He tells her the story, figuring she'll be upset. She's like, no, I'm all in. I love it. Let's do it. So they find a reason to live, so to speak. They're, you know, I wouldn't say they have a dull, drab life, but they're just living their life. And all of a sudden, they win the lottery and they're excited. So but what's the actual strategy that he implores? Or is it just in numbers? Like, if you play a lot, that's it. Like, yeah, is, there's numbers. no strategy outside of that. Like, there's nothing he figures out outside of just play a lot. Just play a lot because he okay. goes there and he, he buys like, by the it's insane. He goes, I need eight thousand dollars worth of these tickets of the game called Windfall. Is the like, gas like, station attendant like what? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Because at one point there's none of them where they're living and they have to drive ten hours to Michigan. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I guess a part of it's like, that seems excessive. No, no, actually, if you knew you were going to win at a game, $20,000, you would drive 10 hours. I mean, of course you would. I'm like, yeah. Right. So they just load it up, go to Michigan. They make some sandwiches, stay in some budget motel. They go there. And the guy says, like, it's going to take you all night to do 8,000 tickets to play them all. And by the way, the, the, the mindlessness of having to go through all their tickets afterwards. Like, there's one scene where their daughter-in-law is like, oh, she misses one of the numbers. Like, oh, it's okay. I'll do that. Like, you have to really love your numbers to go through 8,000 tickets to find the winners. But Again, they find a purpose, find a reason to go. There's some kids from Harvard who are pretty smart, though, and they figure out the same system as well. So if you're looking for a nemesis in their story, it's not the lottery people. They're like, yeah, fine, go ahead. I guess they're happy to win. Because, again, these lottery people, they make billions of dollars. Yeah. Who cares if one guy wins 50000 We're still making 10 times that, 50 times that. So the Harvard people figured out. 
They end up being the nemesis because they threaten to expose Cranston and Benning and say, okay, you know, we have our own plot. We're also showing up at these places. Back off, that kind of thing. But it ends up being, a, you know, like I said, a very sweet, nice story. You, however, had a different experience. You tried to watch Jerry and Marge go large. What happened? Yeah, I had just your stereotypical password dilemma with it. I don't know. Like, am I allowed to admit on here? I, uh, me and my family, we're big password shares. But that's fine. Yeah, go like ahead. me, my wife, my in-laws, my parents. Like, we all pay for one of them and we all share all of them. <laughs> I and think most people do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's just I Paramount Plus is not one of the ones that I have, like, logged in all the time. So I needed to get the password. I text my wife to get it from her brother. Her brother texts back. That password doesn't work. Now we're at like 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday. So I'm like, do I text the brother-in-law? We've never really texted this late before. I shoot him the text. He responds. He goes, that one should work. It was just a whole thing where the password wasn't working. It got to be past 11 p.m. And then I was like, screw it. I had not similar troubles because it wasn't a password issue, but I had troubles in that I had the screener sent to me via Paramount. But I don't know if you ever had this happen. You're watching it. And every two minutes, it just stops. And it's like playback error. So I have to go back and re-log in again. So oh. the is it press it again? All right, start yeah. watching a minute and boom, play back here. It goes back. And when you play it again, it goes like past 20 seconds what you'd already seen. So you have to rewatch the same thing for 20 seconds. It goes another minute, stops again. Is this a 92 minute movie? It took me three hours to watch it. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. Like, like 57 times I had to keep pressing this button. It was so mind numbing. I couldn't believe I had the patience to hang with it. But I'm like, no, free movie. David Franco was great to us, had to do it. So I will give the film two and a half Maple Leafs. Like I said, I think it's a sweet film. Uh, it's something a little bit different, definitely appealing to an older demographic. Michael McKean's in the film, who I love. Didn't know who a lot. He's like one of the friends of the family. I, of course, love him from Spinal Tap, Better Call Saul. Larry Wilmore's in the movie as well. He plays his accountant. Um, but yeah, it's a sweet little story. David Frankel, the director, the writers are Jason Fagone and Brad Copeland. I'm curious about the article, uh, which it was based on, Jerry Marge Gallard. I would love to check out the real story and see exactly uh, how the story came to be. How are you when it comes to lottery? You're there watching a Panthers game. They go, we got a 50-50. Does Cody dip in a few bucks oh. on the lottery? On the lottery, like in a gas station, it has to be huge. I'll play Powerball if it's like hundreds of millions. 50 million just isn't enough for me. Now, I don't know what my th my logic is there, but if it gets into hundreds of millions, I'll buy a, a Powerball or two, but I don't do that regularly. A 50-50 at a Panthers game specifically, yeah. now you're talking my language. I've got a few... Uh, beverages in me, so I'm feeling all. Uh, especially in the playoffs, I've I donated a few hundred dollars, I'd say total, like over the season of wow. like twenty or thirty bucks a game. I have season tickets, so like I'm like I'm in I'm in it for the long haul. I'm like if I do this every time, I'm bound to. And I never even come close, man. These things, these numbers are like twelve digits long. Yeah, I just want to get the first three digits. When I see that number pop up, because usually the way it works is I have seventy tickets. Because, like, it, the way it works is 20 bucks gets you, like, 70 to whatever. And all of them start with the same number. So, I'm like, all right, I need to start with 428. And then the thing pops up, first number, 753. It's like, I'm never even close. Yeah, that's frustrating. I'm, I'm with you. At least like, at least get, like, six numbers in. Like, okay, I feel like we're making progress. Right. Oh, I've hit the first four. This is it. Did we win? Like, it's never even exciting. I know right off the bat that I always lose because it's I never even get the first number right. It's like, Ugh. I need it to start with a seven. If we start with a seven, we got a chance. All right, right. here's the number. Three, four, five. It's like, okay. You got I'm moving on. It's not even exciting. I had an inkling, though. I had an inkling. <laughs> the 50-50 to Panthers game. Like, that has to be Cody's language. Ugh. I, myself, am not a lottery guy, but 
but one of my old bosses, Dave Rutherford, who's a great guy, you know, was very instrumental in my career, getting me so much work when I was in Toronto. He won the lottery like a year or two ago, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, one of my friends texted me, because you know Rutherford won the lottery? I'm like, he did? How much did he win? He goes, he won a million dollars. I'm like, yes. Wow. So I texted him. I'm like, wow. And, and here's the thing. I'd never known anybody who won the lottery that much. And you know, I was a former news director at the Score Television Network, and I said, hey, did you always play the lottery? Like, he goes, that's the number one question I'm being asked. Like, how much money did you put in right. to now have this reward? And it's kind of like you. He goes, listen, I'm at a gas station. I get a scratch ticket. Five bucks here and there. Five bucks here and there. But nothing. nothing he might be underselling that. Sometimes people gamble more yeah. than <laughs> so, so I'm like, just tell me the number. Like, did you 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 put in $100,000 in 50 years of your life and they get a million? He's like, I, I don't know. Is this because, public knowledge that he won the lottery or are you oh, like yeah, outing this? And then I texted okay. like our buddies from the score. I'm like, hey, do you know Rutherford just won the lottery? I just want to make sure it's been public knowledge though because you're putting it on a podcast now. I think so. Sure. I think it's fine. Maybe we'll bleep out his name if you want. But I mean, uh, he ended up texting me the picture because okay, I said, now after taxes, you're done to like it's Canadian taxes. Yeah. You know, you're done to 600 grand. He goes, oh, no, it's tax free. I said, really? You get a million dollars? What's tax free? In Canada? In Canada. He goes, the lottery not in, is not tax in, free. Not in America. Not in America. America you win yeah. a million bucks, you're getting 500,000. Well, it's, you, can do lo- you can do payments. In, in, in America, it's, oh, I know in Florida. I don't know. I think it's by yeah. state. In Florida, I know that it's, you can either do lump sum, which is like ha- half of it up front, just all of it, you get it, or uh, like payments. Like mm. you can get. What would yeah. you want to do? Lump sum. Ah, yeah. Let it if ride. It, if it's huge, if it's a huge amount, yeah, probably regardless, I'm doing lump sum. Regardless, yeah. if it's twenty thousand dollars, I want it all. If it's five hundred, it would be bucks, nice just to know I'm gonna get like a check for seven hundred and fifty thousand. Like, yeah. If that, if I just was like, okay, wait, I don't have to work anymore. Now I'm getting for the next fifty, like sixty years, I'm getting seven hundred and fifty k a year or something like that. Like, that, that would be kind of enticing. Of like, oh, I can go ham with this money because I got more coming, as opposed yeah, to like. That's a good point. Like you don't, you don't shoot your load all in one spot, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Hmm. I just always find it funny when people say when you, you know, when you win the lottery, you'd still keep working. Because I asked Dave, like, so what are you going to do? Because he's fifty eight at this point. He hasn't been working as much, so he said. Listen, I'll tell you this, because it's better to win it now at 58, my kids are through school, rather than if I was 28. Because if I was 28, I'm like, I got to get a house, all this is going to the mortgage, how much is going to the kids? Now I'm like, like it, I'm good. Like, yeah. I, I've lived my life. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, now you can, like, to your point, just go wild, go travel the world, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. So I always, always think if you and I won the lottery, we'd still keep working because we have great jobs, we might work a lot less. Right? We right. just dictate our hours. Like, I'm just going to work twice a week. You would just tell Dan, like, I'm not going to work that much. But go ahead. Yeah, I would probably still work. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I might not. I just might quit this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you would tell Dan I'm working two days a week and I'm quitting instead of <laughs> like, like, I'm dictating. Or manager, I would hire somebody personally to do all my editing for this podcast. So I would yeah. just become like your essential like co-host and I, and I could send the files off to somebody else. To That's edit. a good point. Just you somebody on my payroll, like my assistant. If we win the lottery, <laughs> you just make life easier for yourself because yeah. money will make life easier for you. I'm like, yeah, That's exactly what we're doing. All all right, that's Jerry and Marge Large, Two and a half Maple Leafs once again. It is on Paramount+. Plus. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the 
we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to talk about Heart 8 because Philip Baker Hall just passed away. Uh, the movie is called Heart 8 and stars Philip Baker Hall. Professional gambler Sydney teaches John the tricks of the trade. John does well until he falls for cocktail waitress Clementine. The stories behind this are, are amazing. Paul Thomas Anderson, who is one of our greatest directors now, Boogie Nights and Magnolia and The Master and so many other wonderful movies. Licorice Pizza, obviously, just uh, nominated for writing and directing. Heart 8 was his first movie. He said he was working as a production assistant on... You know, PAs are just getting made dirt right. It's just some lowly PAs working on some documentary. And Philip Baker Hall happened to be a part of it. I think he was, like, voicing it. And he went up to me and said, listen, you're, like, one of my favorite actors. Like, I'm going to write a movie for you. Like, I'm going to make... I'm going to make you a star. He says something like that, that kind of broad. And Philip Baker Hall's like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. At this point, he's, you know, some 60-year-old actor, been acting for a long time. But they had a mutual love of coffee and cigarettes. And sure enough, P.T. Anderson writes a script. He's 23 years old. He writes this movie. And he put it in the Sundance lab. And I guess somewhere through that way, he got a grant. He got some money. And he said at that time, because of Pulp Fiction, it was so popular in 94, there was a real movement towards independent film. And if you had a decent script and you had some ideas, and you could, you could get it made. So he said... I think Heart 8 was about $3 million, and I was able to get the money through Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival. And I told Philip Baker Hall, you're my guy. He's like, all right, cool. And then he was able to get John C. Riley, who at that point was an up-and-coming actor, had done five or ten movies. Gwyneth Paltrow, which I'm still shocked we got Gwyneth Paltrow, who I think was a fairly big star in 96. And Samuel L. Jackson, who has always been a star. Also, the great Philip Seymour Hoffman ended up having a great relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson. Again, was in many of his films. He shows up in one incredible scene playing craps. I'm going to light the cigarette. I'm going to light the cigarette. He's in it three and a half minutes, but he's hysterical. Um, but it's a really cool success story. Having said that, before I get into Philip Baker Hall, P.T. Anderson says he makes movie. He doesn't know what he's doing. Because I'm 23 years old. You know, I've watched a ton of movies. I'm a real movie geek. But I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm kind of bluffing my way through it. The company is Reicher Entertainment. He's like, they're a video company. They... They see his cut and go, okay, we don't like your cut. So they did their own cut of the movie. And he goes, well, I don't like your cut of the movie. Like, it's different than my cut. I'm like, well, whatever. Like, we own the movie. And he was like, no, we can't do this. This is not fair. I'm like, whatever. It's, it's, we own the movie. Our version's better. And by the way, we're going to call it Sydney, which is the lead character's name. He's like, no. Oh, no, sorry. He, he wants to call it Sydney. Paul Thomas Anderson Sydney. We're calling it Heart 8, which is a move you do in, in gambling. If you watch the film, you know he's going to go for the Heart 8. Oh, and he was like, no, it's not Heart, heart eight. 8. Love a Heart yeah. 8 and craps. Yeah, Heart 8. Exactly. And craps. Cody knows. I know exactly Heart 8. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, no, it's got to be Sydney. He said eventually what happened is he pushed and pushed and pushed. He had just written the script for Boogie Nights, and New Line Cinema loved that script and gave him a bunch of money. He took the money that he got from Boogie Nights and gave it to this company, Reicher, to say, hey, I'll buy it from you just so I can release my cut and they're like okay fine one stipulation we're still gonna call it hard eight he was like okay fine at that point he said now he's okay with the name he still prefers sydney but he was like i'm actually okay with it fine i get it so he ends up releasing his cut let's say it was in i don't even know 10 movie theaters but i remember hearing about it 
because Cisco and Ebert loved it. And last night I went back and watched the Cisco and Ebert review. It's amazing. And they, they, they don't even mention Paul Thomas Anderson. They're talking about Philip Baker Hall, who's this veteran actor who Roger Ebert correctly says was very famous for a film called Secret Honor, which is what P.T. Anderson loved him in. It came out in 1984, little scene movie. It's available on Criterion. And Philip Baker Hall plays Richard Nixon. It's, a, it's like a one-act movie. This is the whole thing. Now, I'll be honest. I went and saw Secret Honor a few years ago because I, I, I love Philip Baker Hall and Paul Thomas Anderson. Wouldn't recommend it. I mean, unless yeah. you're really into Richard Nixon. It's 90 minutes of a guy playing Richard Nixon on his final night in office. The most memorable part of the movie is at the end, Richard Nixon is just pissed. He goes, fuck him, fuck him. And the camera cuts like five times. He says like, fuck him. And I go, okay, well, that part was awesome. When Richard Nixon loses his mind, yeah. the rest of the film I don't love. But when Paul Thomas Anderson told Philip Baker Hall, hey, I love Secret Honor, he was like, wow, like, how many people have seen that movie? I already like this 23-year-old kid who wants to put me in this movie. Anyways, Ebert says, great movie. Gene Siskel says, this is 1996, he goes, he is mesmerizing this film. He goes, he's going to get a lot of work from this movie. He goes, casting agents are going to see this. Top-level directors go, who is this guy? Look at this guy's face. And he has a quintessential actor's face. Philip Baker Hall died at the age of 90 last week. And in the obit, I'm so glad people said, hard eight actor, and also mentioned his relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, etc. But... You have to look as, you know, life is populous. What is he most known for? Guys like my brother. He's Bookman from Seinfeld. Yep. So I, I really texted my brother, like, hey, Philip Baker, a lot hard. He doesn't care. I'm like, Bookman from Seinfeld. Yeah, 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 Bookman from Seinfeld. Yeah. And Larry David is quoted in a couple of the obituaries saying, he's one of the funniest actors I have ever worked with. He said, he was great in Curb. He was great in Curb. He said he had him in that Seinfeld episode. He goes, Jerry couldn't get through it. He was laughing so hard. Then he cast him in Curb, where yep. he was amazing playing a doctor. And he also had him in the Larry David movie, Clear History. So Larry David yep. goes, trust me, I think the guy's amazing. He was and the neighbor in Modern Family. He did some good TV roles. <laughs> did a lot of TV. He's kind of popped up here and there. And that's why P.T. Anderson said, he goes, he's been a guy. He's around. His first love was theater. He actually did, coincidentally, American Buffalo, which I just saw on Broadway. He did... Uh, that, I think when I say like in the 90s or something like that, way back when, but he, you know, he loved theater, did like over 100 theater credits, and would pop up in movies and shows time to time. Great in Midnight Run, if you like a, a great comedy from 87. But Hard Eight was really his moment to shine, and uh, it's an awesome film. It's about 100 minutes long. Uh, I'm glad that P.T. Anderson got the cut that he wanted to reveal. The first scene, he's picking up John C. Riley, who is just a down-and-out loser, let's be honest. And he says to him, if I give you 50 bucks, how long could you live on that? What would you do with that? And he's like, well, I go eat something, I'm starving. He's like, well, what if you know, what if you had to bet your way through it? He's like, what do you mean bet my way through it? And he was like, you come with me right now. We're going to go to Vegas. I'm going to teach you how to bet. I'm going to help you out. And immediately John C. Riley's like, who are you, old man? Like, he's I'm not some, like, gay slur. Yeah. Like, what do you, like, what do you think I'm going to do? And he's like, he's like, listen, just come with me. He's like, I'm not going to suck dick. And he goes like, okay, I got it. This is your last chance. Do you want to come with me or not? He goes, listen, you try something on me. I know three different types of karate. Like, I will, <laughs> I will bust you up. And Bill Baker's all like, I believe you. And that's the way the movie begins. It takes him to Vegas. And <clears throat> the first half of the film, he kind of shows him the ropes, right? Hey, you have your, and it's really kind of cool. I, I, it's interesting, just the, the lifestyle. P.T. Anderson, again, 23 years old. Where do you come up with this stuff? He said he'd worked in Reno a little bit. So he'd learned a little bit about the gambling trade and put it into the script. It just kind of came out of him. But I thought the first half of the movie's fine. I mean, we've seen that before. That kind of, you know, mentor teaching the student, you know, karate kid, wax on, wax off. Here's how you gamble, give the chips here, give it to this woman here, they'll copy for the room, say it just to this guy. It's kind of interesting. But the second after it gets fascinating, because now he's been there for a couple of years, and he's now molded John C. Rowley into a professional gambler. He falls in love with this waitress, Clementine, by Gwyneth Paltrow, and then Samuel L. Jackson shows up, and Jimmy is John C. Rowley's friend, and Philip Baker Hall does not like him. And John C. Rowley says, hey, he kind of feels like you don't like him. He's like, yeah, I don't. I don't care for him. And Jimmy, Samuel L. Jackson, 
ends up giving the big secret of the movie, which I will not spoil. I want people to watch the movie. As to why exactly is Sydney helping John? Like, why would this 60-year-old codger yeah. all of a sudden just help this random guy? And Samuel L. Jackson puts the pieces together, calls him on it, and you go from there. And I just, the film is so quietly observed. There's so many subtle gestures. As Gene Siskel said, he goes, and he doesn't even know P.T. Anderson at that time, right? He's this unknown director. He's like, I love the way the director uses those little insert shots. You know, he builds up drama through the gambling and really kind of knows that world very well. But he's got that actor's face, man. Like, when people talk about having a matinee idol face, they're talking about Robert Redford or Paul Newman. But when they talk about a quintessential actor's actor, that's Philip Baker Hall. Like, yeah. I, read, I read one of the reviews, and they said he looked old even when he was young. Like, and you look at him now, just the bags under his eyes, yeah. that, that gravelly voice. But uh, like a true actor, somebody who, who loved the craft and I think was always, in whatever work he was in, he was good. To your point, modern family, Curb, like he can do comedy, he can do serious drama. If you saw Philip Baker Hall in a film, you knew this guy was going to deliver. And it was and just like, like like little roles in movies. Like he was in Rush Hour. He was the lieutenant in Rush Hour. Uh, fired Up. Do you know Fired Up? It's a stupid comedy from the no, late I don't know Fired Up. 2009. Just a dumb comedy. He plays the teacher in it. I. That's like when you st- when I think of him, just because like that's where my mind went first. Obviously, there's bigger roles, but yeah. just so many small roles, man. I had to mention Fired Up for the people that are my age. <laughs> it's a dumb movie, but if you know Fired Up, it's really funny. Would have been amazing on his dying days. Someone just fell. Uh, you know what? What film were you proudest of? He's like Fired Up. Yeah. What did you say? He's like you little Fired sh- Up. He's like an angry coach. He's like you little <laughs> shitheads, little shitheads. <laughs> He's really funny in that. I'm amazed he lived to 90 because I don't, I don't know if he actually smoked in life, but he looks like he smoked. He looks like he smoked a pack a day. Like, <laughs> Jesus. I'm like, this guy made it to 90? Like, wow. Yeah. Philip Baker Hall. But again, Heart Eight, incredible film. And, and I just love what P.T. Anderson did. He was like some 23 year old kid. like, bro, I'm going to give you a movie. I'm going to make a movie about you. And he did. And it's a great film. And he ended up getting a lot of work out of it because he obviously worked in Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and those other films that Chris and I are mentioning. So rest in peace to Philip Baker Hall. Uh, outstanding lead performance in Heart Eight. As Gene Siskel said, his performance is mesmerizing. Jonathan Rosenbaum, a Chicago reader. This first feature by writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson is impressive for its lean and unblemished storytelling, but even more so for its performances. Michael Wilmington, a Chicago Tribune, it's done with such intelligence and feeling and such a brilliant cast. It grips our attention from first shuffle to last bet. Great film. Make sure you check it out. All right, wild card. Some great father and son movies as we celebrate Father's Day, a day after Father's Day. You got to start with Field of Dreams. Yeah, I mean, someone says to you, Father's Day, is there a better Father's Day movie than Field of Dreams? It's about a father and son reconnecting. It's about redemption. It's about reconciliation. Hey, Dad, want to have a catch? I mean, that's the first one. Right, I'm getting emotional. I, I, just... I, I get choked up just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, man. I actually enjoyed, I, you said father-son movies. There's more father-son movies than you think out there. Maybe not like, you know, as moving as Field of Dreams, but there's a lot of them, man. Liar, Liar is a father-son movie. Yes, that's a good I one. can't lie. Yeah. Mrs. I mean, your boobs Ms. are big. Mrs. You're Doubtfire. So Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire, awesome. My yeah. first day as a woman, and already I'm having hot flashes. <laughs> <laughs> big Daddy, Adam Sandler. I got to throw the a big dumb daddy, rom-com on true. there. Yep. Come on, that's yep. a good one. The Birdcage. The Birdcage, I love. Gene Hackman's unbelievable in that. He's like playing this like stiff, upper crust Republican. He's like, I don't see any books of intelligence around here. And Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, obviously very flamboyant gay couple. I, the Birdcage is very funny. We Another should, should one that you don't think of as a, as a father-son movie, but you really think about the, the plot of it, Talladega Nights. The whole wow. movie is Ricky Bobby trying to get his dad's approval. Hey, if you're not first, you're last. That's true, actually. I, yeah, I never would have thought Talladega Nights is a father-son movie. That's, I'm telling you. That's kind of shocking to me, actually, yeah. now that you think about it. I want to go back to Liar Liar, because to me, that's like peak Jim Carrey. Oh, 
His so physical good. comedy in that's amazing. And the outtakes are awesome. There's one scene where him and Susie Kurtz are yelling at each other. And he calls her a liar. And he goes, Jezebel. And she goes, overactor. And yeah. they both start yes. breaking up laughing. It's Over such a great actor. I remember that. Yes. That is such. <laughs> one of my favorite outtakes. They both start losing. Yes. It's so I'm funny. kicking my ass. Do you mind? <laughs> Such a great bathroom fight scene, and it's him beating oh, his own ass. I'm telling you, I know Ace Ventura is iconic, but Liar Liar might be the best Jim Carrey movie. I mean, the pen is blue. <laughs> He's writing all over himself. Yeah, that scene in that boardroom is unbelievable. <laughs> I want to go watch Liar Liar again. He's just screaming at everybody. The claw. The claw's coming to get you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nebraska is really good. Dramatic film came out a few years ago. Bruce Dern. Uh, I like that film. Kramer versus Kramer, of course. Great father and son movie. Dustin Hoff and Meryl Streep, Academy Award nominated. Big Fish, favorite of Scott Van Pelt. Second Van Pelt reference here in the show. The Road, which is a better book than the movie, but that starred uh, Viggo Mortensen. Honey Boy came out a few years ago. Uh, ben Lyons is a huge fan of that film. Shia LaBeouf. There will be Blood. Again, one of my favorite movies of all time. But very disturbing, but impressive father-son story. Boyhood, a film that I love. Uh, if you like Will Smith still, Pursuit of Happiness is one oh, you Oh, Pursuit throw of Happiness is good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Perfect World with Kevin Costner. Boys in the Hood. Yes. Fathers and Sons. Lawrence Fishburne is great. You mentioned Robin Williams. He was in World's Greatest Dad, which is also a film with a dad in it. Again, kind of disturbing. Finding Road Nemo. Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Great father. Yes, yes, yes. You always, you know, when you always think of these Disney movies, you always feel like they're mother and daughter, you know, yeah. like Bambi and stuff. But then you're like, no, no, Finding Nemo is a great father. Yeah. Albert Brooks is amazing. He's just so, so neurotic. He's just so Albert Brooks yeah. in the movie, which is what I love. Um, yeah, there's lots of great ones along the way. Hey, The Godfather's a great father and son movie. Son and Michael Corleone learning from their father, Vito. Lots of great options along the way. And one that I, of course, love, A Bronx Tale. I mean, it, the fact that Robert De Niro's kid, Calogero, is being influenced by Chaz Palminteri. When he asked Chaz Palminteri, is it better to be loved or feared? He said, I would say fear, because fear lasts longer than love. That's exactly spoken like a mob boss. And one more for you, Road to Perdition. Tom Hanks playing a gangster, but a good gangster. A well-meaning gangster looking out for his kids as well. Those are a few options. But like you said, Big Daddy is on the list. Oh. Legends of the Fall. Uh, Catch Me If You Can. John Q. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and Mud. Royal Tenenbaum. Catch Me If You Can. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess he's looking for his dad's approval. I guess because like the, they kind of have a father-son dynamic, the, the yeah. Leo and Tom. But you're right. Some of these kind of stretch the uh, stretch the dynamics of father son, and of course the bicycle thief. If you like your foreign films, great, great Italian film, a father in some way, but a father and a son literally looking for their bicycle, uh, a classic of neo-realist cinema from Vittoria De Sica. All right, thank you so much for checking out Cinephile. I think we've done our work here, and thank you once again to our guests last week. More great guests coming along the way, and more great movies to talk about next week. We're gonna get our Elvis on. I don't know if Cody is an Elvis man, but Baz Luhrmann's new film Elvis, starring Tom Hanks and Austin Butler as Elvis Presley roaring into theaters. I'm also going to try to check out Lightyear here with the boys. Although, Tim Allen not voicing Lightyear. It's Chris Evans. I kind of wish it was Tim Allen. I think of Buzz Lightyear, I think of Tim Allen. But, that was the ropes. All that more coming up next time on Cinephile. Thanks again for checking us out. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review, and I'll see you at the movies.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.